time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Greetings, my friends. How are you? Hopefully you enjoyed your Christmas weekend. Today we have a special edition of The Financial Position. No live broadcast this week. Uh, usually we broadcast uh, every Sunday morning. Uh, this Sunday morning was Christmas morning, uh, so the station's playing Christmas music and we have the day off. Uh, also, next Sunday we'll be bringing you a podcast only, given that it'll be New Year's Day. So hopefully you enjoyed your uh, Christmas weekend. Uh, this is the week uh, between Christmas and New Year's, next week we're going to have our much-anticipated much uh, prediction show, our forecast for 2023, and i got to tell you, it's you're going to want to tune in for that. Uh, but we're not going to go a full two hours today. I'm going to go as long as I think necessary. Uh, and on today's show, I, um, I want to talk about what happened in 2022. Uh, obviously, it was a tumultuous year in, in so many different ways, whether we're talking about the economy, we're talking about the market, we're talking about geopolitics. There's so much to talk about today on today's podcast. Now, hopefully you had a, a wonderful Christmas. Um, this is being uploaded, I believe it's Monday, the day after Christmas. And given the fact that Christmas fell on a Sunday this year, uh, we have Monday off because that's the holiday. And um, we get to celebrate Boxing Day. Most people don't know what Boxing Day is, but most of the world, the day after Christmas is a holiday, and you spend time with your family. I mean, Boxing Day, I guess it means that you clean up all the boxes, put them away from the gifts that were given the day before during Christmas. But it's so great uh, for many people that do have the day off today uh, to have that break after a very busy weekend between Christmas Eve on Saturday uh, and Christmas Day and Sunday. So hopefully you had a wonderful uh, Christmas Hopefully you spent it with your family. Hopefully you had a great time. And thanks so much for joining us for today's podcast. Now, as I said, it's a, a very, very important show because we're going to review. And we always do this. Every year, the last Sunday of the year, I tend to do the um, 2022 review. And I tend to compare it to my forecast that I do early in the year. Uh, and next week we're going to do, it's the most anticipated radio show of the year. It's our, our 2023 uh, economic, political, geopolitical forecasts. And when I've spent a lot of time preparing for that show because uh, I want to get it right as best I can. Uh, and just remember, uh, don't take what we say here as investment advice. You know, you got to talk to your own advisor before making any moves. But next, next week, we're going to talk about my predictions on what I think is going to happen. Uh, in the economy, in the markets, geopolitically. And I got to tell you, um, you're going to want to join me next week uh, because uh, it's full of information. And, and I got to tell you, it's, uh, it's not very uplifting. Uh, I, I, I'm seeing some very, very bad things for next year. But that's next week's show. Now, I'm going to try not to do any predictive stuff on this show. I don't want to do that. I want to save that for next week. What I want to do this week is I want to talk about what happened in 2022. So let's start off talking about 
the economy. Now, what was the big deal in the economy this year? You know it. It's one word. It starts with an I, and it's called inflation. Inflation came back in 2022 uh, like we haven't seen it in 42 years. Uh, now, I'm old enough to know what uh, the inflation of 1980 looked like with Paul Volcker raising interest rates to almost 20% and inflation running about 16 17%. And since then, we really did not have a significant inflation problem. Inflation ran maybe 1%, 2%, and, uh, uh, at least the official rate of inflation anyway. And inflation wasn't a big deal for decades. But now we're seeing inflation like we haven't seen since 1980. Uh, and it is a big issue because uh, it's hurting everybody, number one. But number two, now the Federal Reserve has um, taken it upon themselves, which is, I guess, their job, uh, to raise interest rates in an effort to slow the economy down and to battle inflation. Uh, and the Federal Reserve has done something it hasn't done in a very long time. It's raised the federal funds rate, uh, the interest rates that it controls, uh, all year long. I think it started in March. They started raising rates, and it's been relentless. We went from zero interest rates on the federal fund rates uh, to over 4% in just about nine months. And the Fed just recently raised rates a half a point uh, in mid-December, and they made it clear that they're going to continue to raise rates uh, as long as it takes uh, to battle inflation. Now, the problem with that, it's had a very significant effect on uh, financial markets, which we'll get to in a second. But earlier this year, the economy, uh, maybe in response to uh, the Fed starting to raise interest rates, uh, but we saw uh, in the first and second quarter negative GDP. And the definition of a recession is two quarters back to back of negative GDP. Now, unless you're the Biden administration, then you know we change all the rules. Uh, there's no recession. Uh, no, 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 it's just a little bit of a slowdown. Until the unemployment starts kicking up, we really don't have a recession. So uh, don't believe your lying eyes. Uh, and we went over that earlier in the year, how, what a joke it was. We've been in a recession. Now the question is, how bad is it going to really get? Um, but unemployment still remains low, under 4% again officially. And as you know from listening to my show over the years, I don't trust any of the government figures. And we'll talk later on about uh, the fake job numbers. I'll talk about it now. You remember we said since June I've been telling you that there's been a, a disparity between the establishment survey, which is the headline number you hear uh, on the news at 8.30 in the morning on the first Friday of every month. How many jobs were created in the economy? 350,000 jobs were created in next last month in the economy. Uh, and that's called the establishment survey. Uh, and the thing that's been kind of weird is that it hasn't jived with the household survey. The household survey is where they actually call families. I don't know how many call, 1,000, 10,000, who knows. And they ask you, you know, are you working? Uh, did you get a job? Did you lose a job? Uh, are you working part-time? Are you working full-time? And that's called the household survey, which I believe to be much more accurate than the establishment survey because in the establishment survey, they do seasonal adjustments, well, this time of year, we have to adjust it this way, or, 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 or they're hiring more for holidays, or you know, a lot of teachers aren't working now because uh, you know, it's the summer. There's all kinds of these adjustments they make. Now, are they valid? I don't think so. I think you just report the numbers as they are. Uh, but they adjust them. They also do something called the birth-death model. 
And this is where they really could fudge the numbers. This is where uh, they make an estimate of how many jobs, not how many jobs, how many businesses were created versus how many businesses closed down. The created businesses are the birth of businesses and the ones that closed down are the death of businesses. And that's called the birth-death model. Now, this is a number they could pull out of thin air, and they do, because they have no idea. And sometimes uh, the birth-death model will swing the numbers, hundreds of thousands of jobs. So if they want to show that the economy created 300,000 jobs last month, they could do it by just using the birth-death model, seasonal adjustments, and things like that. That doesn't necessarily mean those jobs were created, but it makes the public feel that it is because that's the headline number that comes out. Establishment survey and household survey, they're usually pretty close, they're never exact. But I brought to your attention, starting in June, I said, look, this has been a number of months here where we're seeing the household survey showing that no jobs are being created, but meanwhile, uh, the, the establishment survey is showing uh, hundreds of thousands of jobs each month. Now, this has continued. Now, it's an election year, so you got to keep that in mind. That's a very, very important part of this, um, is that they can make the numbers look anything they want. Uh, and now it's starting to come out that, wait a second, people are starting to call them out and saying, how come you're off 1.7 million jobs? The establishment survey says were created, but the household survey uh, says none were created during that time. And you know what this is. This is political manipulation of economic uh, indicators. And, you know, look, it's been going on forever. This is not a Republican or a Democratic thing. It's something that the existing administration always does. Sometimes it's very egregious, like we've seen this year. I mean, how are all these jobs being created when you have rampant inflation? You got a housing market that's imploding. You got a. Um, you have um, uh, stock and bond markets crashing, basically. Uh, how, how are all these jobs created, being created in this robust economy? As a matter of fact, two quarters, as I just mentioned, were negative. So where are all these jobs being created? They're not being created. They're being created in the mind of the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, so you'll hear more and more about this. It was just fake the whole time. And I told you it was fake. Uh, and I told you and I, I brought to your attention the disparity between the the household survey and the establishment survey. So we don't have a strong jobs market. And that's what the administration was saying when everybody was saying that, hey, you know, we have two negative quarters of GDP, which is the definition of inflation. Uh, the administration would come out and say, no, 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 because look at all this job growth. And it was all a lie. And we know that. So inflation has been driving the economy because inflation has been driving the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve has been very aggressive in raising interest rates. Now, the problem is this economy, you know, haven't seen rising interest rates in decades. We haven't had significantly rising interest rates. Yeah, you want to go back to 2018, I think we went from zero to two and a half percent. And then the market started cracking. They brought it back down to zero. Uh, once COVID hit, uh, but we haven't seen a, a protracted uh, period of rising interest rates. And uh, these markets, the stock market, the bond market, uh, are reacting very violently to the downside. Let's take the stock market. The stock market was rising because of the easy money policy, the zero interest rates that the Fed had, the quantitative easing where the Fed was printing money and buying bonds. And by the way, they're still doing it, and we'll touch on that later on. 
but that was stimulus to the stock market. All this money had to go somewhere. Also, all the federal stimulus that we had during COVID, I think the number is something like $5 trillion was created in like a year and a half, something like that, some crazy number. Uh, and where did that money come from? That money was printed by the Fed. They bought government bonds, and the government dispersed the money to the people. And when do you remember in your entire life, which is never, uh, that the government just starts writing checks to people for no reason? Everybody gets it, uh, assuming you're within a certain income level. But seniors got it, unemployed people got it, people who never lost their jobs got it. And you're wondering, you know, where is all this money coming from? Well, it was coming from the Federal Reserve, printing money and pushing it into the system. And that's what pushed up stock market. And that's what pushed up the bond market as interest rates went down, interest rates went down and bonds prices went up. So that was the stimulus part of the economy. That's been going on since 2008. And we've had a, an amazing stock market over that time. Uh, although bond yields have been very low, um, uh, prices of bonds had gone up when interest rates went to zero. Uh, and now as the Fed raises rates, you have the opposite thing happening. All right, you have bond markets going down and interest rates going up there. You have stock markets going down. It's very simple. There's an old adage that says, don't fight the Fed. And that simply means if the Fed's providing stimulus, positive uh, uh, monetary policy in the form of low interest rates and um, quantitative easing, uh, you remember the twist and then the quantitative easing one, two, and so forth. And then you have government stimulus you know, that was great for markets. You start taking that punch bowl away, and the opposite's going to happen. And that's exactly what we saw in 2022. Now, stock and bond markets got hammered this year. Uh, we're not at the end of the year yet, but I'll give you some figures. We still have about four trading days left uh, in the year, but it's going to be pretty close uh, uh, to these numbers that I'm going to give you in a second. But there was nowhere to hide in 2022. The only place to hide was cash, money market, CDs, things that had no market risk. Uh, but stocks and bonds got hammered together. Now, we haven't seen a year where both stocks and bonds went down together in probably 20 years, if not longer. It's just, I, I can't recall uh, when that has happened. Uh, so again, if you had that, that portfolio, I don't care if you had 60% bonds, 40% stocks, or 60% stocks, 40%, you got killed this year. And I don't have to tell you that people with 401ks, uh, people with investment portfolios of any kind, uh, saw a very, very difficult uh, 2022. Uh, year to date, and again, this is uh, with four trading sessions left, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 9%, uh, which is the best of all the stock market averages. You wish you had all your money in the Dow and only lost 9% last year this year. Uh, the S&P 500, uh, which is a more broader market, 500 stocks, whereas the Dow was only 30 stocks, of which two or three of them are energy-related and kind of held up well with rising energy prices. Uh, um, the S&P 500 was down 20%. Uh, and it was down more earlier in the year. So that's a bear market. The NASDAQ, which was the darling market for many, many years, it had the technology companies in it the FANG companies in it, the Googles and the Apples and the Facebooks and the Teslas and all those kind of stocks, which did super well, uh, has really taken it on a chin in 2022. The Nasdaq's down 33% uh, year to date in 2022. Now, that's, that's a bad market. And a lot of people have lost even more than that uh, in individual stocks in the Nasdaq. So stock market 
really bad place to be. Uh, not only here, but worldwide, we've seen stock markets all around the world with similar returns, similar negative returns. Let's shift over to the bond market. Uh, as I said earlier, we saw bond yields go from zero, um, uh, very under 1%, the 10-year Treasury bond, to uh, it briefly went over 4% right now. It's three and three quarters percent. That's a tremendous move in bond yields in just nine months. I mean, it, it's happened in a really, really short amount of time. And uh, it's having a negative impact on a lot of things because mortgage rates tied to the 10-year Treasury market. So when you have 10-year Treasuries go from uh, 7 tenths of 1% uh, to 4%, obviously you're going to see mortgage rates go higher. And we did see that this year. I mean, mortgage rates top 7%. I think as we speak, we're probably looking at 6.5%. Uh, wow, it sounds much better than 7%, but it's certainly not 3 or 3.5% like we saw not long ago. And, of course, that's had an effect on housing prices, which we'll talk about in a second. So you see how inflation has affected everything. The rampant inflation that we're seeing here with the CPI topped at over 9%. We know it's double that probably if calculated correctly. Uh, it seems to be that the rate of inflation is, has been moderating the last few months, which I guess is a good thing. Um, still, we're looking at 7% inflation uh, year over year. Still something we haven't seen in many, many uh, years or decades, for that matter. Uh, so uh, inflation causes the Fed to raise interest rates, causes bond prices to go down, causes stock prices to go down, causes housing prices to go down as mortgage rates go up. Uh, and you could see why inflation is the number one issue in the economy for 2022. Well, if you were hiding in cryptocurrencies, well, you did much worse uh, than any stock and bond investor did. Uh, we saw Bitcoin that started the year, uh, I think it was 54,000. Right now it's 16,000 and change, uh, something like a 60-something percent decline. Uh, cryptocurrency had a really tough year in a lot of different ways. We saw a lot of the exchanges uh, close down. Uh, we saw tremendous volatility. Uh, the year is ending now with this whole FTX fiasco, this, this crypto exchange run by this guy that I've never heard about before, Sam Bankman fraud. Uh, uh, no, his name is Sam Bankman Freed. Uh, but they should call him Sam Bankman fraud. Uh, because that's what he did. He, he defrauded investors in his exchange, too. We still don't know how much. Tens of uh, billions of dollars. Uh, we'll find out as it goes along. Uh, big story and has a lot of uh, connections to the Democratic Party because he was the second largest donor to the Democratic Party. So, you know, he's stealing money uh, from uh, investors in his exchange and, and, and giving it to Democrats. Uh, we'll see how the information comes out on that. Also, apparently, the money we've been sending over to Ukraine, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, was being invested, at least some of it, uh, in FTX. And then uh, Bankman Freed was taking the money that was kicked back from Ukraine and giving it to Democrats and giving it to the Biden campaign and so forth. Uh, obviously, the mainstream media don't want to talk about it and so forth, but this is going to come out, and we're going to see what the real numbers are, uh, because you know this really has, this really smells really, really bad. Uh, and uh, like I said, Bankman-Fried, second largest donor to the Democratic Party, uh, first being George Soros, 
Uh, that should tell you a lot right there. Uh, so we'll hear more about that as, as the year progresses. And, and I'll leave that for my uh, forecast show next week. Gold and silver held up pretty well. Uh, didn't take off like I thought it would be, uh, like I thought it would take off, given the inflationary environment we had. Uh, part of that had to do with the fact uh, that the U.S. dollar appreciated substantially uh, against other currencies around the world. And typically when the dollar is going up, gold doesn't perform so well. But gold hold it held its own pretty much unchanged uh, year to date. Silver, too, uh, had a late run here, uh, about $24 an ounce. Uh, we're looking at gold a little over 1800 an ounce. Uh, so you didn't really get hurt in gold and silver, but you didn't make the money. Uh we thought you would make. And that has to do, again, with the, do the dollar, uh, with um, the nonstop central bank manipulation of precious metals, which has been going on for some time. Uh, so the financial markets, very, very difficult time in 2022. Uh, next week, we'll talk about my predictions for 2023. And I think you're going to be pretty surprised at next week's program about some of the things that I have to talk about. Uh, and I'm, again, trying to stop. I don't want to predict anything for next year. I just want to just review what happened uh, this year. So Americans, for the first time in a long time, are looking at their 401ks. They're looking at their IRAs. They're looking at their home values starting to de deplete. And uh, it's been a pretty scary time for investors. All right, let's take a short break. Uh, I'll be back right after this. Income taxes and retirement plan. I'll suggest a comprehensive financial and estate plan that will improve your financial health and most importantly, lower your financial risk during these uncertain times. If you are retired or plan to retire, I will show you strategies designed to increase your income and protect your estate from nursing home costs. Call us at 732-905-8100 and get on the road to a healthy financial future. That's 732-905-8100. Join me Sunday morning, 7 to 9 for The Financial Physician right here on 92.7 WOBM or listen to the podcast at thefinancialphysician.com. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin and Company, member of FINRA and SIPC, registered investment advisory service to broadcast of The Financial Physician. This week and next, podcast only as uh, uh, we usually record our radio show, which is the podcast, uh, on Sunday mornings. And yesterday was uh, Christmas, so uh, no show Christmas morning, and there'll be no show uh, next Sunday on New Year's uh, Day. But we're going to have a podcast uh, this week and next. Uh, today, we're talking about what happened in 2022 in markets and uh, politics and geopolitics. And uh, next week, we'll be talking about my 2023 forecast, which you're not going to want to miss because I don't want to give anything away in it. But it is uh, something you absolutely are going to want to tune into. Uh, but uh, come with a positive attitude because... Um, I'm not, just to give you a little teaser, I'm not feeling very good about 2023. Now, we're talking about markets in the first segment. We're talking about how inflation was the big issue in the economy and that due to inflation, the Federal Reserve reacted by aggressively raising interest rates and looks like they want to continue to do so. And it's affected the stock market. It's affected the bond market. And most importantly, and I think this is the big one, it, it, it's affecting the housing market. Uh, and as we all know, the housing market was in a bubble. It was just going nuts. And it wasn't that long ago, actually earlier this year, the, the first quarter of the year, people were still overbidding for houses. I know people who in March and April were paying $30,000, $40,000 over and above the asking price. 
Now, interest rates were still three and a half to four percent. Not a real big deal. But people, in, in order to be able to acquire the home, had to outbid sometimes 15, 20, 30 other bidders. Not to mention you had competition from institutional investors like hedge funds, which were going out there and buying up homes for cash. Uh, pretty hard to compete with that when you have an institution coming in and say, I'm going to pay cash, I'm ready to close now, versus somebody who comes in and says, well, i got to sell my house first or I need to get a mortgage or, or what have you. You know, a seller is going to give it to the highest bidder uh, who could close the quickest. And so we had a lot of institutional buyers uh, of housing. So, you know, housing was just going bonkers. Uh, and a lot of people saw the value of their homes go up, their net worth go up because of that. And it's amazing how quickly this has changed. Uh, interest rates have continued to creep up in the mortgage market, um, briefly hitting over 7%. Uh, right now, we're right around 6.5%, uh, still historically high compared to uh, what we've been living with the last 15 years uh, with 3% interest rates, even 25 in some cases So uh, at some point. So we have a, a rising interest rate environment in mortgages, and uh, now what we're starting to see is we're starting to see people take much longer to sell their houses. No longer are we seeing these overbids uh, like we saw earlier this year. Uh, we're seeing uh, existing home sales plummet. We're seeing uh, home starts, new home starts plummeting. We're seeing permits for new housing going down. We're seeing home builder sentiment. You know, these companies that build these homes, are they optimistic? No, they're not. Uh, uh, they're not. And we're seeing a lot of layoffs in mortgage origination companies, companies that were, were, were basically selling mortgages. Um, and this is a bubble busting in front of your, your eyes right now. So unless you sold your house um, to an overbidder, uh, it didn't matter that your house went up last year because you're still living in it and it's going to go down. Another thing about housing is uh, housing affects other areas of the economy. Housing is 20% of the overall U.S. economy. And that affects furniture stores, that affects uh, uh, contractors, it affects commodities, it affects so many different things. Uh, now, we still haven't really seen the real devastation. You know, how uh, real estate's local. We all know that. Certain areas have different effects than others. But we really haven't seen the devastation in the housing market yet. We're just seeing the beginnings of it. And if the Federal Reserve is still hell-bent on raising interest rates, well, we're going to see mortgage rates go what? To seven, seven and a half, eight? And then you're going to see the real devastation in the housing market. I expect to see housing prices drop 20% at least. And again, I'm giving you a prediction, and I shouldn't do that because I'm going against my rule. Uh, we'll save that for next week's show. Uh, but let's just, uh, I guess you can pretty much guess that. Uh, that's what will happen as long as interest rates stay high, which I think they're going to for some time. All right, let's shift gears and talk politics in 2022. What an interesting year we had in politics in the United States and the world. Uh, the United States is in a mess right now. I mean, I, politically, I don't think we've been in a worse position, at least in my lifetime. Uh, it, it's so dreadful, and uh, it's something that everybody's talking about. Uh, we're in a mess. Uh, leadership in this country, uh, you could have the debate whether or not leadership in this country was duly elected or... Um, if they stole uh, the presidency, that's for another day. Uh, you know my feelings on that. Uh, but we have a president who is 
let's call it for what it is. He's cognitively debilitated. I mean, and it's getting worse by the day. Uh, he's not running the country. You know, the question is, who is? And I think that's the scariest part of what's going on politically in the United States. You know, a duly elected president is not running the country. And I like to know who is. We could take a little guess on that. But um, we have uh, the president, who obviously is disabled. Um, we have uh, a Speaker of the House, another aged old woman who she's been cognitively disabled, in my opinion, for, for decades, but it's gotten worse and worse. We got a vice president uh, who disappears for weeks at a time, and when she does come out of the basement, says the most stupid things possible. Certainly not qualified to replace Biden if he were to be removed or step down or retire or go to an old age home or uh, who knows. So we're in a mess right now. Now we have a new uh, Speaker of the House coming in uh, with the Republicans have taken over uh, the House of Representatives, uh, barely. Um, the Democrats were not able to steal that House of uh, Congress. But, uh, and uh, we don't know who the Speaker of the House is going to be right now. Kevin McCarthy is, is the leading candidate for that. I hope somebody else uh, replaces him there because I think he's just another rhino. Uh, which we'll get to in a second. So uh, uh, at least we have somebody who's young enough to finish a sentence and probably won't show up drunk uh, at press conferences. But uh, that, that, that's our leadership in 2022. Uh, an 80-year-old 80 80 uh, senile Joe Biden who doesn't know where he is, uh, and you have a uh, vice president who's totally unqualified uh, to uh, be a clerk at Wawa, let alone anything else. Uh, and now we'll have um, the outgoing Pelosi and replaced by a Republican uh, Speaker of the House, and we'll see if that's an improvement or not. Depends who it is. All right, so we had uh, uh, the midterm elections in 2022, and I will tell you, uh, election integrity in this country is non-existent. Uh, and we, we see it everywhere. Everybody's talking about it. Uh, in any given uh, midterm election, the existing party in power loses tremendous amount of seats in the House. I think the average is 30. Uh, they lose an average of six seats in the Senate. Uh, and that's on average. Uh, not when you have uh, one of the most unpopular presidents, one of the worst economies, rampant inflation, uh, borders wide open, uh, the embarrassing withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh, we can go on and on and on. And uh, the Democrats were able to hold the Senate, and the Republicans were barely able, barely able to take control of the House. Would they gain something like eight seats or something like that? So you know there's something wrong with our election system in this country if that's what happened given all the negatives in the country. When you have a president that has uh, an approval rate in the 30s, uh, his party never does well in congressional midterm elections. But magically, uh, they kept the Senate. Uh, uh, and, and when you look at this, I mean, you look at a guy like this guy Fetterman, this guy who ran for Senate and won, won quote-unquote won. Um, guy had a stroke earlier this year. The guy can't communicate well. He can't hear well. He has to read transcripts on a computer of what people say. 
he dresses like uh, a dropout from high school, uh, wearing sweatpants and a hoodie all the time. Uh, and he uh, single-handedly uh, conducted one of the worst, if not the worst, political debate in the history of political debates. And, and he won. And it wasn't even delayed. He, he won on election night, apparently. Uh, that tells you everything you need to know about election integrity. And, of course, we had the same old games that the Democrats play. They're just better at it. You know, the mail-in ballots, uh, ballot harvesting, machines that apparently change votes in real time. Uh, and if you take a look at um, Florida, uh, Florida has very, very strict election laws, voter ID, uh, no ballot harvesting and all this stuff. It was a Republican red wave. DeSantis won more than the polls. Uh, Rubio won more. The Republicans won the House seats that, that they were going by, by, by a huge margin. Right? But then you take a look at Arizona. Not a real blue state, by the way. Uh, and you had uh, the elections weren't called for two weeks. Uh, you had all kinds of, of, of problems with voting machines. Do you know, uh, you know, Carrie Lake is um, this week uh, actually had a trial questioning the election integrity. And some of the testimony that came out says, now you're going to have to understand that, that 80-something percent of the election day voters are Republicans. Only 17% were Democrats. So in most, 60% of the districts in Maricopa County, the ballots were, couldn't be counted. You know why? Because the size was wrong. They printed the ballots the wrong size so the tabulators can't read them. So these 87% of uh, Election Day voters who were Republican voters, their votes didn't count. And there was lots of other things that happened, the ballot harvesting and things like that. So we just saw a two-day trial. The evidence came out as overwhelming that there was major voter fraud. I mean, I think Carrie Lake, who's running for governor of Arizona, and apparently, quote-unquote, lost uh, to Katie Hobbs after days of vote counting and harvesting and manufacturing. Uh, she was up like 15 to 20% in the polls. Nobody liked this Katie Hobbs. Um, and, and she loses by a thin amount uh, the last day. Take uh, the Senate race in, um, in Georgia, Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker looked like he was winning on election night. And uh, then all of a sudden, he didn't get enough. To, they didn't get enough to get over a certain percent, so they had to have the runoff election. And sure enough, you could have bet your baby's life uh, that Herschel Walker was going to lose that runoff election. And sure enough, he did. So by one seat, uh, the Democrats were able to remain in control of the Senate. Uh, they actually gained a seat. Uh, it was 50-50. Uh, and now it's 51-49. Yeah, in a midterm election year with the most unpopular president, the worst economy, uh, a radical Democratic Party, uh, and uh, the Republicans lost the seat in the Senate. Um, well, if you believe that, uh, I have a bridge to sell you um, down the line. So that's politics in the United States right now. This administration um, in 2022 did everything they can to destroy America. Let's start with immigration. Uh, Millions have invaded the United States this year, and that's what it is. It's an invasion. But meanwhile, you have uh, the administration, especially this 
outrageous and disastrous Homeland Secretary uh, Mayorkas. Border secure. Nah, it's secure. Don't worry about it. Forget watching the news. Well, the ones that show it, like Fox News. Uh, one after another coming right across the river, right in. Tens of thousands. You know, No, no, the border is secure. And then when the states like Arizona and Texas want to secure the border themselves and build their own wall or put um, containers, shipping containers to block it, the Biden administration sues them for trespassing on federal land. That tells you everything you need to know. And we got fentanyl coming through our border unchecked. I mean, how many kids, not only kids, adults, uh, are dying of fentanyl overdoses uh, and drugs just flowing in the country? We have trafficking going on, uh, child trafficking, uh, human trafficking. We got criminals coming across, gangs, all unchecked, being released into the United States. Now, uh, any day, I mean, it was supposed to happen already, uh, Title 42 was supposed to be uh, dropped, and uh, they say when that happens, um, that opens the gates. Now, the Supreme Court has held off on it while it reviews it. You know, I think something like 20 states or so sued to prevent Title 42 from being dropped. But as soon as they do, there's predictions that as many as 18 to 20,000 illegal immigrants, they're not migrants, they're illegal immigrants, uh, will be rushing the border a day. And it's tough enough for them to handle it now, let alone um, that amount. It's a true, true emergency, and the Biden administration has no uh, plan to deal with it. Well, their plan is, is let it happen. This is purposeful. It, there's no other way you could describe it. I mean, they're doing nothing about it. How about this budget that was just passed? This uh, omnibus budget. You know, we used to be able to have an annual budget. We haven't had a budget in years where you sit down and have a regular budget. These are these stopgap measures that are that are done, and they're done in like and released in the middle of the night. Uh, Congressmen and senators have to vote on it in a day or two without even knowing what's in a 4,100-page budget, uh, which we'll get to in a second. But uh, a $1.7 trillion budget, uh, there's no money in there for border protection. What does that tell you? Uh, anyway, how about energy policy? Um, gas this, this year hit, depending on where you are, $5.00. $7 in California uh, as the Biden administration's energy policy is, is, is turned the country from energy independent to energy dependent right now. Uh, and if not for um, Biden tapping the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and flooding the market with our emergency energy resources in a political attempt to influence the election uh, and get gas prices down, uh, we'd still be up there. And I think we're going up there again. Uh, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve right now is down to the lowest level since 1983. And this is at a time when we're at risk of having major disruptions to the ability to import uh, uh, oil. You know, most of our, our oil is imported from um, Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia now is making inroads into alliances with Russia and the BRICS. Uh, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but uh, what if all of a sudden we have trouble getting energy? And, you know, last time we had inflation like this, those of you who remember, it was the, the oil embargo 
uh, in the 1970s uh, when the Arabs said, we're not sending any oil. Well, now that we're dependent on foreigners for oil, what happens if that happens again? Um, we're in big trouble. And again, it seems that all these things are being done purposefully. Now, some people say, well, our energy policy where we can't drill, we can't frack, no leases, is due to the administration's uh, uh, green energy policies. That's their religion right now. It's so crazy if you think about it. Think about it. You know, we want to do things so we don't burn fossil fuels. But meanwhile, China with a billion people have no restrictions. Isn't it one planet? It's kind of like, you know, we have a big pool, and I'm on this side of the pool, uh, and, um, you know, I'm not going to pee in the pool, but you're on the other side of the pool, and you're going to pee in the pool. Uh, what good is it that I don't pee in the pool? I know it's kind of, a crude, kind of a crude analogy to use, but basically that's it. I mean, if they're polluting like crazy in India and, and, and China and other countries, and we're going to be the good guys uh, and destroy our economy uh, uh, and uh, not have the ability to function without fossil fuels, uh, and the rest of the world does it, it's just silliness. But this is kind of a religion to them. Again, everything this administration does is the opposite of what's good for America whether it's immigration, whether it's energy policy, whether it's foreign policy, all of it is the opposite of what somebody who loves America would do. It's the opposite of what somebody who believes America should be first would do. And it's the opposite of everything that the Trump administration did. And that's what it's all about, was to reverse everything that the Trump administration did. Now, love him or hate him, Let's stop with the tweets and, and, and his bombastic uh, name-calling and all that stuff. Let's push that aside. What about the policies of the Trump administration? We had a strong border. We had a tough foreign policy. We made NATO pay their fair share. Uh, there's no way that Trump would have uh, left Afghanistan like he did. We were energy independent. Uh, we were respected in the world. And all of that stuff has been undone. From day one, the first day, Biden sat down with executive orders, stopping the Keystone Pipeline and all this other stuff. Uh, and now they're trying to force uh, electronic vehicles, electric vehicles down our throat and so forth. So it was a crazy year, 2022, politically. Uh, we're in a very bad place, people. Uh, I don't think there's been a time since the Civil War that the nation has been so divided and so politically unstable Unstable is the word I should use. Let's shift to uh, geopolitics. Uh, talk about a crazy year domestically, politically, obviously. Uh, geopolitically, 2022 um, was a crazy year uh, and one that may have uh, began uh, the process towards World War III. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, this, this is serious stuff that's going on now. Uh, we have, uh, obviously, Russia invading Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine fights back pretty hard. I don't think the Russians expected uh, to... I think they expected to go right in and take over Kiev and be done with it and then take Western, uh, eastern Ukraine, uh, the Donbass region, uh, the Russian-speaking area, and be done with it. Uh, but no, the Ukraine, Ukrainians fought back hard. Uh, we provided them, the United States and NATO, with over $100 billion in arms and assistance. And you know that's more than the entire defense budget of Russia? We have given Ukraine 
mostly United States dollars, and we're going to give him more, as became evident this week with Zelensky's uh, uh, trip to Washington, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, and uh, how is it, if, if your neighbor uh, is, is in a fight with you, and a guy across the street gives your neighbor weapons to fight you, aren't you in war with both of them? Yes, of course you are, and that's the definition of a proxy war. So it's becoming more and more uh, obvious that the United States and NATO now uh, are at war with Russia, if not declared uh, in a proxy war. Uh, without giving away next week's show and my predictions, um, we're in a very dangerous place right now. So Zelensky comes to Washington uh, for more handouts. Now, this was orchestrated. This has been planned for months. Uh, and he comes here, and he's treated like he's uh, Winston Churchill of his day. And that's the words that they're actually using. What a statesman, Richard Churchill, the Congress on their feet. Why they give him and his country hundreds of billions of dollars of the money that we don't have. Uh, how about $45 billion for wounded homeless veterans? How about using that money here? I mean, if you're going to print money and use money we don't have, uh, why are we sending it to Ukraine? Uh, is Ukraine a member of NATO? No. Is Ukraine an ally of the United States? No. We are using Ukraine as the ability to try to go after of Russia. And I find this to be insane. Now, some people say, well, you know, I was arguing with a friend of mine the other day. He goes, well, you know, Putin's a bad guy. You know, he invaded Ukraine and, you know, all the deaths of the civilians, he's bombing houses and so forth. We got to help him. And I said, do we have to help if Kenya is fighting Ethiopia to, uh, and people are dying? Are, are we responsible to get involved? Uh, so this is a proxy war between NATO, the United States, uh, and Russia. And it's a very dangerous one. Russia has the most nuclear weapons in the world. Do you think Russia is going to just allow themselves to be defeated in Ukraine or, or, or elsewhere? Now, I get a lot of hate mail from people who say that I'm, I'm a Putin puppet because I don't believe that we should be heading towards World War III and possible nuclear annihilation. Uh, call me crazy that I don't think World War III is a good thing. Uh, I don't hear anybody talking about peace talks. Have you heard anything about peace talks? When you're talking about war with a nuclear-armed power, who's threatening to use it? Are, are, are anybody listening to what Putin is saying? Right? He's saying that he will use nukes if necessary. And he came out this week and said it. Wednesday, this week, he delivered remarks, Putin it is, to the Russian Defense Ministry. Putin vowed to increase the readiness of the Russian nuclear arsenal as the U.S. votes to donate $100 billion to the Ukrainian war effort. The U.S. is openly engaging in war with Russia at this point, and he knows it. So CNN reported that Russian President Vladimir Putin said Wednesday that Russia needs to, quote, continue to support and improve readiness of its nuclear weapons. I'll repeat this to you. Uh, um, continue to support and improve readiness of its nuclear weapons. Uh, this is serious stuff, and nobody seems to be taking it seriously. It, it, we're not going to overthrow Russia. It's not going to happen. 
Going on, Putin said, we, can, we need to continue to support and to improve the readiness of our nuclear units. This is the main guarantee of our sovereignty and territorial integrity. A strategic priority is the overall balance of power in the world. Putin also accused key NATO countries of using their military potential against Russia. Quote, it's well known that today the military potential and opportunities of virtually all the main countries of NATO are being used against Russia. Putin claimed that Moscow's quote-unquote strategic adversaries have been planning to disintegrate, weaken, and divide Russia. Our strategic adversaries have the goal of disintegrating and weakening and dividing our country. This has been going on for centuries. Russia is too big, as they think, a country that poses a threat to someone. Therefore, it needs to be broken down, cut down a little, he said. Uh, and he's not going to allow that to happen. But, you know, hey, look, they're trying to kill us. They tried to kill us with COVID. Now they're trying to kill us with vaccines, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, now they're trying to kill us with um, World War, nuclear war, uh, and God knows what else. Um, but it has been a crazy year. Uh, it's been uh, nine months of, of war in Ukraine. We haven't seen war in Europe, uh, at least not uh, a significant war in Europe, uh, since World War II. And it seems that the West is hell-bent on going to war with Russia. And I find it to be absolutely insane. Uh, past national security advisor, I think it was to Bush, I'm not sure um, who it was, doesn't matter. He said that in government, any time there was ever talk of nuclear exchanges or, or potential, I mean, we would back down, right? Or we would go right into de-escalation talks. But that's not what the Biden administration is doing. Zelensky doesn't want peace. I mean, who knows how many people have died in Ukraine, but... I'm reading that at least 100,000 soldiers, Ukrainian soldiers are dead. We know civilians are being killed. We know tens of thousands of Russian soldiers have been killed. Um, and there's no talk of peace. It's just incredible to me. Uh, how many were people going to die? Billions, maybe. Um, but this is a very serious situation. And I'll, I'll talk about what I think the end game will be next week. But they're trying to make uh, Zelensky out to be uh, the next Churchill. You'll hear them on mainstream media. They're all talking about him being a statesman. He was such a statesman. No, he didn't. He's, yeah, he wore a T-shirt and freaking um, soldier pants uh, to the U.S. Congress. Um, he's no Churchill, trust me on that. Another thing, too, he's probably, you can call him a dictator because he's eliminated all the opposition parties in this country. He shut down the media for the most part. He shut down the, the Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, uh, he's anything but a Churchill, in my opinion. And uh, this news just came out uh, on Sunday, on Christmas Day. Uh, headline, Putin ready to negotiate end of Ukrainian war, but West wants to tear apart Russia. So he gave an interview to a, a state television station, and he said his country now is ready to negotiate the end of the conflict in Ukraine. He, but he uh, once again pointed the figure at the West for making any dialogue toward an acceptable end of the fighting all but impossible. We're, we are ready to negotiate with everyone involved about acceptable solutions, but that is up to them. We are not the ones refusing to negotiate. They are. So here he is. You know, Putin is looking for a way out of this thing. 
I don't know the reason why. Could it be because he's losing? That's a debatable issue, too. Uh, the West media wants everybody to believe that. Um, where I'm hearing some generals in the United States saying that's not the case. Actually, Ukraine is losing. Uh, Ukraine, as I said before, has lost 100,000 um, soldiers so far. So why is it that uh, the West and, and Ukraine uh, do not want to negotiate some exit to this? And that's a good question. I mean, as I said before, we're dealing with a nuclear-armed uh, Russia. Uh, why wouldn't we go to the table? You know, you don't have to agree to anything that, that's not acceptable. Uh, but why won't we, um, the West, be open to negotiations? Uh, and it seems that, as I said uh, before, that the West is hell-bent uh, on going to war with Russia. I, I think they believe that we can defeat Russia or, or harm them deeply and it's not going to happen it's not going to happen and don't call me a pudding puppet because i'm saying this i mean you dealing do you think russia is going to allow themselves to be defeated do you really think so no not when they have the weapons that they do now you have idiots like um, uh, senator graham lindsey graham coming out and saying that the war's not going to be over until somebody takes out putin that's what has to happen for the war to end. How does Lindsey Graham know that the replacement to Putin won't be more ruthless uh, and, and be more hardline? You never know that. When that vacuum happens, I mean, it can go either way. You could have somebody who's open to ending this thing, or it could be uh, uh, someone who uh, says, hey, we're going to win at any cost, and we're going to use every weapon we have available to do it. Because, if, look, if Russia wanted to win this war, they can do it tomorrow, in one day. A few tactical nuclear weapons going off in Kiev and, and other places, uh, this war would be over. Or it would escalate to uh, worldwide nuclear war, which doesn't seem like a good prospect to me. So we have a very dangerous situation uh, in Ukraine and Europe. Uh, how it ends, you know, as anybody's guess, I'm going to give you my, my uh, prognostication next week uh, on my forecast show. Uh, but right now, it's a very dangerous time uh, for not only uh, Ukraine, Russia, Europe, uh, but for the entire world. Also in uh, 2022, we saw the, what I consider to be the end of COVID, at least the end of the COVID hysteria. I mean, people are done with it. Uh, COVID now has seemed to have morphed um, into a bad cold, a flu. Um, people are getting it, but most people are getting over it. Um, uh, I had the pleasure of having COVID in uh, August. It was two weeks. Uh, I was tired, slept a lot, had a cough, got over it, and uh, felt great afterwards. Um, and now I have natural immunity. So so people are done with it, but, but what people are not done with, or at least the the deep state, the establishment, the government worldwide, is this vaccine mandate. They want everybody to continue to take these shots. Now, it came out this week that um, somebody was looking at the, the, the VAERS uh, government data uh, on how uh, vaccine injuries are piling up. And uh, uh, an examination of U.S. government's vaccine adverse events reporting system, VAERS, reveals that since the fall of 2020 through today, people injected with COVID-19 shots die 80 times more frequently following those shots than people uh, 
uh, who die after getting a flu shot. 80 times. People receiving COVID-19 shots suffer side effects 40 times more frequently than people who are injected with flu shots. So this thing is still experimental. It hasn't been approved by the FDA. It's still an emergency use authorization. Uh, some other news that's coming out. I mean, we're seeing this. It's just being so underreported. Uh, but people are experiencing this. Um, there has been a 4,070%, yes, that's what I said, 4,070% increase in VAERS miscarriage and stillbirth reports after mRNA shots were rolled out. So over 4,000% increase in uh, miscarriages and stillbirths. Uh, don't you think that that statistic alone should shut down the whole vaccine program? Now, you got to be aware, too, that the VAERS reporting, they say it's underreported by as much as 50 to 100 times. So it's even worse than that. Um, so again, you know, how do you, how do you depopulate? You know, you kill as many people as you can, and then you make them uh, sterile, so you can't reproduce. And we see this every day, these people dying suddenly. You know, this is the new big cause of death now. The number one cause of death in America last year was SADS, sudden adult death syndrome, where people die suddenly. And many of these people are are young, they're healthy, they're athletes. This was on. I saw this on a website. It doesn't matter whether some news website. This is just one day on the same page. UFC Hall of Famer Stephen Boner dies suddenly at 45. The Ultimate Fighting Championship announced on Saturday that Hall of Fame fighter Stephen Boner had died suddenly, presumably due to heart-related issues. He was 45 years old. 45-year-old fighter. Heart-related issues. They never mentioned vaccine status. Do you notice that? Uh, here's another one. Same page. Uh, same day, executive producer of ABC's This Week with George Stephanopoulos dies suddenly at 37. Uh, died unexpectedly of a heart attack on Friday, December 23rd. Again, no mention of vaccine status. And this is happening all over the world. People just dropping dead. If you look at the documentary that's out, you just Google it, died suddenly. Uh... Stu Peters documentary, <laughs> and he's, it's not funny, but he, he starts out with a video of you just see people just dropping dead, whether they're doing a newscast, uh, whether they're playing soccer, uh, they could be a referee, just boom, plop, plopping over, uh, and it's just video after video after video after video. I mean, never in the history of vaccines would they ever let a vaccine continue, even with 100 deaths. Uh, and here we have tens of thousands, and that's probably underestimated number of people are dying from vaccine injury. So uh, it just continues. I mean, people are done with it. They're not going to tolerate lockdowns again. But here you go. You have in Los, Los Angeles is saying, well, we should go back to mask mandates, at least indoors, because the numbers are going out. But meanwhile, we're finding out that the majority of people who are getting COVID and dying from COVID are vaccinated. Uh, you could debate why that is. Some people say, well, more people are vaccinated. So, you know, if it goes around, you know, it's going to hit the vaccinated people more. Uh, but that's ridiculous because the vaccine is supposed to prevent you from getting the disease in the first place. Whoever heard of a vaccine 
that you still get the same disease you took the vaccine for. I mean, I remember getting the polio vaccine when I was a kid. I never got polio, not even a mild case of it, not even one arm being paralyzed. Uh, I remember getting uh, the measles vaccine. I don't have measles. I don't have just a small little measles army. Uh, so that's the way vaccines were supposed to work. Smallpox, right? You get a smallpox vaccine, there's no smallpox. But never has a vaccine uh, been so ineffective. Uh, and, uh, and again, they were touting it for the longest time as safe and effective. Remember, it's supposed to have a 90-something percent of efficacy rate. Uh, but meanwhile, more people now are getting COVID that are vaccinated. And more troubling, more people are dropping dead um, for no reason. And these are healthy young people. And I just can't believe for the life of me that they're still pushing it. They're still pushing the boosters and everything else. And uh, you have to think, you know, why is that? And we'll talk about um, in next week's show uh, where I think uh, this whole pestilence and vaccine issues are going uh, in 2023. Uh, now, I mentioned earlier that um, in the lame duck session uh, of Congress, the Democrats, with the help of rhino Republicans, uh, pushed through this $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill. Now, we used to have budgets in this country. We used to have where, you know, the parties would negotiate a budget over a number of months, and by the time the, the fiscal year started in October, you know, there'd be a whole budget laid out. Well, they don't do that anymore. They wait till we're up against a government shutdown, and then they pass this massive bill that nobody knows what's in it uh, just to get the government from stop it from shutting down. And then you start looking into this budget, and you say, well, what is this stuff in here? And the Wall Street Journal came out and said that, th that this budget uh, is the worst in history. Now, that's saying something when you're talking about Washington. Uh, they go on to say, this is no way to govern in a democracy, but here we are. Um, and, you know, it got rushed through. It's 4,155 pages. Uh, the budget was released at 1.30 in the morning on Thursday night or Thursday morning. And within a couple of days, it was voted on with 18 Republicans in the Senate um, voting to pass it and it passing the House on, uh, on party lines. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. Uh, and in it is so many programs and waste of money. Even the Defense uh, Department, $858 billion for defense, an increase of almost 10%, and more importantly, $45 billion more than the Defense Department requested. Now, why would you, why would you do $45 billion more than the department says they need? I'll tell you why. The military-industrial complex. Uh, the companies like Lockheed Martin and Boeing and Raytheon, these companies that produced uh, weapons of war. War is good business. Um, and uh, these companies have a lot of money and a lot of lobbyists, and uh, they donate heavily uh, to Congress. So $45 billion more going to the military-industrial uh, establishment. All right, at least it's going towards... Our, our national defense, that's fine. You, you can't say it's a terrible waste of money. A good thing is uh, our servicemen and women are going to get a raise, I think almost 5%, which is good. Uh, there's also a symbolic $275 million cut to the IRS's annual budget. 
And the GOP, the Republicans are doing this victory lap over there. See, we're cutting the IRS. $275 million is nothing. If you recall, in the Inflation Reduction Act, quote unquote, um, there's $80 billion there for the IRS to hire 87,000 new people to go after, after you. So, I mean, $275 million is a joke. What else is in here? Um, and I, I probably could do a whole show of all the garbage that's in here. I mean, you're talking about $1.7 trillion, right? Uh, and when it's 4,155 pages, God knows what's in there. Uh, months from now, we're going to be finding out what's in there. But, but here's some of the things that we do know about. Uh, it expressly prohibits Border Patrol funding from being used to improve border security. Uh, that sounds a little outrageous to me. But it's totally uh, in sync with uh, the Biden administration's goals, which is to open up the spigots and let everybody in. Uh, at the same time, we're allocating $410 million towards border security for not Texas, Arizona, or California. No, but for Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Tunisia, and Oman. Very important that they have border security, but not the United States. It's just it's infuriating. Oh, we got some money for Ukrainian uh, Independence Park in Washington, D.C. Oh, that's nice. Uh, $335 million to prepare for an influenza pandemic, including the use of surveillance tools. What's that mean? Hmm. How about $3 million for bee-friendly highways? Whatever that means. Uh, this one's infuriating. $575 million for quote-unquote family planning in areas where population growth, quote, threatens biodiversity. Now, I want somebody to explain that to me. What does that mean? Well, family planning means abortion, okay? So it's $570 million for abortions in areas where population growth threatens biodiversity. That means too many humans. We're back to that depopulation theme again, right? Unbelievable. Uh, oh, we have $65 million for um, a federal building named for Nancy Pelosi. Well, that's nice. How about this one? $3.6 million for, quote, Michelle Obama Trail. What is the Michelle Obama Trail? I have no idea. But, you know, $3.6 million. We could build a nice trail, I would think. Uh, what else do we have? Oh, here. $477,000 for anti-racist training. Whatever that means. $3 million for LGBTQ plus LMNOP Museum in New York City. So, honey, you know, we're going you know, to take a trip to New York City as tourists. We're going to go to uh, the Met, Metropolitan Museum of Art. We're going to go to the Museum of Natural History. We're going to look at the dinosaurs. That's going to be great. And then my favorite stop is going to be the LGBTQ plus LMNOP Museum in New York City. I don't know. What, what is going to be the things to see in that museum? <laughs> uh, we're living in um, Alice in Wonderland. I don't know. Uh, $524.4 million for the National Institute of Health to fight structural racism. Whatever that is. And how's this, where does the National Institute of Health come in on this? I don't get it. Uh, $7.5 million to better understand domestic radicalization. 
uh, interpret that. I, I'll interpret that for you. MAGA Republicans, okay? People who follow, unlike Donald Trump. Uh, let's see. Um, gender programs in Pakistan. Got to fund that. And $200 million for gender equity. Uh, $11.33 billion for the FBI. $1.75 billion for the uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Department. And $2.63 billion for the U.S. attorneys. Uh, all significant increases over last year. So we're going to have this police state, the Stasi, that is now what the FBI has become, uh, just the enforcement arm of uh, the Democratic Party and the far left, uh, uh, coming down on political opponents, um, including the ex-president of the United States. Um, and some are saying he's going to be arrested soon and indicted for January 6th or for these documents he supposedly took. So uh, this is just some of the stuff that's in there. Uh, oh, how about this one? Uh, retiring Senator Richard Shelby. Now, he's a Republican. This is something that's been going on for a long time. It's not necessarily Democrat. It's Democrat and Republican. They're all part of the club. They all, once they go to Washington, they, they're bought and paid for by these lobbyists. So um, he slipped in $656 million in earmarks uh, uh, into the omnibus bill to benefit his home state of Alabama. So what are some of the things that he um, put in this thing? And he's the head of the Appropriations Committee, so he's pretty powerful. He can pretty much get whatever he wants. And just keep in mind, he's retiring uh, soon. $13 million for the Abbeville Municipal Airport runway extension. Apparently, their runway is too short. $26 million for the Tuscaloosa National Airport runway extension. Another short runway in Alabama. $100 million for the Woosley-Finnell Bridge. $200 million for the Alabama State Port Authority intermodal and terminal expansion. $50 million for a revolving loan fund to benefit the city of Mobile, um, uh, Mobile, um, Alabama. $35 million for the Marion Military Institute. $45 million for the University of Alabama at Tuscaloosa. $45 billion. What do they charge in tuition a year? What, $50,000, $60,000 or something like that? That's not enough money to fund the uh, university. They need our money, taxpayer money, in addition to our kids' um, student loan money. Uh, $2.6 million for the deepening study uh, for the deepening study for Tennessee Tombigee Waterway. Mm -hmm. $35 million for Spring Hill College. $76 million for the UAB Hersnick School of Medicine. $50 million for the University of Alabama at Tuscaloosa for a permanent endowment fund to support the recruitment and retention of exceptional faculty in science and engineering. So you see how this goes. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, everything is so corrupt. Everything is so corrupt. Um, and then you have, you want to see something infuriating, how these, these rhino Republicans, remember, you had 18 senators vote for this. Uh, Republican senators held a press conference on Wednesday where they accused Joe Biden of creating an intentional crisis at the southern border. Uh, the Republicans bravely spoke out about Biden's failure to act despite record-breaking levels of illegal immigration. So then these same Republican senators voted on a motion to proceed on the House measure of the $1.7 trillion spending bill uh, that prohibits uh, border money, um, border uh, patrol money to be used to secure the border. 
And of course, it was your same typical Republicans, Blunt, Boozman, Capito, Collins, Cornyn. I'm surprised Cotton is in this list. Uh, Lindsey Graham, Grassley, I'm surprised Grassley's in this list. McConnell, of course, the turtle. Uh, Murkowski, uh, Romney, Rubio, you get it. You know, same ones that are all part of the big club. It's, it's just ridiculous. And of course, there's $45 billion in there for Ukraine to protect its border. But, you know, they couldn't find any money uh, to protect the United States' southern border. Infuriating. And uh, quite purposeful. And that's why people are so sick of government. They know how this works. Uh, and here we are, uh, $31 trillion in debt uh, and falling deeper in the hole every day. And they'll just continue to spend and spend and spend money we don't have for a bee-friendly highway. Unbelievable. All right, what else happened in 2020? Let's talk about this show. Big changes to the financial physician uh, for 22 years. Uh, I was on WOBM AM 1160, uh, the AM station here for WOBM. Uh, and then in February, uh, we were moved over to the, the mega station, 92.7 uh, WOBM FM, uh, which is the flagship station uh, of Town Square Media on the Jersey Shore and the number one um, uh, rated station here on the Jersey Shore. So it's a big move up uh, for me and the program uh, to 92.7. We've also saw a tremendous expansion uh, in the listeners to our podcast, which is always available at thefinancialphysician.com. And uh, without getting into too much of 2023, we're going to be doing a lot more uh, uh, on the podcast, on social media, uh, on video channels, uh, because two hours a week is not enough to keep you informed on what's a very, um, very rapidly breaking uh, news uh scenario or cycle every single day and week. So it, we, we can't cover everything here uh, in two hours. So I'm going to do a midweek update. Uh, I'm going to do some specific topics that I want to get out there. We'll do some with video format and we'll do some with just audio format. So you want to make sure that you're on our email list so you're notified uh, whenever I do uh, anything new, whether it's a video, whether it's uploading a podcast. Um, go to thefinancialphysician.com. And, and when you go there, uh, it pops up. You know, get a free copy of the book. But to get the free download of the book, you need to give us your email and we send you a link. So, uh, but uh, give us your email so we'll notify you whenever we uh, update uh, the podcast or a video or I have some information I want you to know about in between radio shows. Uh, we're not going to market to you. We don't sell your email list. It's only for the program and we'll keep you updated. And we got so many of you have done that. Also, download the book. Uh, it's a great book, it's especially if you have a young couple just getting married or uh, you want them to get off on the right foot. That's why I wrote that book. So, so younger people understand how to buy a home, how to buy cars, how not to get in debt, how investments work. Uh, totally free of charge. And it's really nice. It downloads uh, as a really nice uh, PDF file. Um, so just go to the financialphysician.com. But give us your email uh, so we can let you know. Now, next week, uh, we're going to be doing another podcast. Uh, no live program because it is New Year's Day. I expect um, to upload it on uh, Monday, uh, the day after um, New Year's Day. Maybe even New Year's Day will do it. Depends on how quickly I get the podcast done. Now, this is the first podcast I'm doing that isn't just a rebroadcast of the um, radio show. So uh, 
forgive me if the technology wasn't the best, uh, you had little breaks in it and so forth. Uh, I'm doing the best I can as I learn the software and everything else. And I promise y'all, it'll be much more professional. It's going to smooth out maybe even by next week. Uh, that's the goal here. All right. So yesterday was Christmas. Um, I want to leave you uh, with uh, a Christmas carol. Uh, I stumbled upon on the net. Uh, I like to give it credit, but I don't even remember where I got it. I just downloaded it. And it is a parody of uh, Mary Did You Know, the wonderful um, Christmas song uh, about the, the birth of Jesus and someone asking Mary, does she know what her son is going to grow up to be? And it is a parody, and the title of it is Biden, did you know? Uh, and I'm going to leave this with you. This will be the end of the program. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. And remember to join me you know, next week for the podcast uh, where we give you our uh, 2023 forecast. You're not going to want to miss this. This is something uh, that I've been working hard on. And uh, it's pretty... It's pretty eye-opening. Let's leave it at that. And uh, just give me your email list, and we'll let you know when the podcast is uploaded. My guess is going to be either late Sunday uh, or, um, or sometime on Monday. Here is Biden, Did You Know? Biden, did you know that your policies would drive us underwater? Biden, did you know that your policies trans our sons and daughters did you know that your policies will punish what is true the church that you subscribe to does not subscribe to you Biden did you Your baby boy made shady deals in Ukraine. That your baby boy loves Parmesan and cocaine. Did you know that you shouldn't touch these women like you do when you sniff that little girl's hair? It's borderline me too. The war will cease, the debt increase, and the dead will vote again. Vote again. The crime will leave, the dumb will speak, but we say come on Biden, did you know that your power